It's been nearly forgotten about today. But it was one of the biggest headlines of the early 1950s. A mysterious event that gripped an already terrified nation. A small group of individuals from a tiny town in West Virginia had witnessed an extraterrestrial on the ground and were now speaking openly about their encounter. Today we discuss the Flatwoods Monster. Flatwoods sits at the geographic center of West Virginia, roughly an hour north of Charleston. The town has a population of just under 300 individuals today, a number that's changed surprisingly little in the past 70 years. The year in question is 1952. It was five years after Roswell, and five years before the Sputnik satellite would take flight. The United States was embroiled in the Korean War, which wouldn't end for nearly another year. Tensions were high in America, as the Cold War was ramping up, and Senator Joseph McCarthy was pushing his Red Scare throughout the United States. Even with all the turmoil on the global and national stages, life actually seemed to run at a slower pace back here at home. It seems quaint for us to look back at it today. By 1952, less than one in ten households had a television, and those lucky few who did could pick up at most four channels via antenna, and the images were all going to be in black and white. People got most of their information from radio and local newspapers. Telephones were even a far cry from how we know them today. Things like dial tones and having the ability to directly call someone, those wouldn't be common for nearly a decade. On the streets, the 1952 Buick Roadmaster was the two-ton king of the road. It got a whopping 13 miles to the gallon. Uh, another interesting piece of information to help set the stage here is, in 1952, in Cleveland, they hosted what's now considered to be the first rock and roll concert, the Moondog Coronation Ball. Sadly, the event had to be cut short as 20,000 people showed up to a venue that could hold less than half that. 1952 was a very different time. Life for many consisted seemingly of little more than what they could see when they stepped out their front door. This was all about to change for one tiny community in the hills of Appalachia. Their perspective of the world and beyond was about to drastically change. It was a warm late summer evening in mid-September 1952, a Friday. Preteen brothers Edward and Freddie May were playing at the local school ground with their friend Tommy Heyer, among other children. It was just after 7 p.m. when the boys spotted the object. A red, fiery, oblong sphere crashed down beyond the trees on a nearby hilltop. Now, this was quite the sight for the boys in this small town, or in any town, really. So with their curiosities piqued, the boys' minds filled with what kind of treasures may be laying up there, they began rushing home to share what they saw. Though there was still over an hour before nightfall, the shadows were beginning to grow long, stretching down from the hilltops. 
The object quickly became the talk of the town. Two other boys, along with a young man by the name of Eugene Lemon, agreed to join the group. Once home, the boys were greeted by their mother, Kathleen May. Now, while it's safe to assume that uh, the boys' mother wouldn't be too keen on her children gallivanting so late after nightfall up in the hills, but she surely saw the excitement in the boys' faces. So, she agreed to escort them and go along on their adventure, see what uh, was in store for them. I think it's pretty safe to assume she was a bit curious herself. With the group formed, it was time to depart. Armed with little more than a couple of flashlights and Eugene's dog, the gang started walking. The object appeared to land on top of a nearby hill. This land was owned by G. Bailey Fisher, a gentleman who owned a fair bit of property in the area, mostly used for farming where the land was suitable. The group began making their way up the hill. Night had fully set in by this point. A fog was beginning to set in as well, which only served to make every step of their journey more and more unsettling. As they made their way higher and higher up the hillside, they began smelling thick, acrid fumes along their path. As they reached the crest of the hill, Neil Nunley saw it first, the object that fell from the sky, off in the distance, red, pulsating. As the rest of the group caught up to Neil, they began to hear a shrill, hissing sound. Lemon shone his flashlight towards the source of the noise, and that's when the group saw a sight that none of them were prepared to see. A being, by most accounts, around or over 12 feet tall, stood before them, eyes red and burning. It let out a shrill, hissing sound and began to float towards the group. Flashlights hit the ground. The horrified group was in a panic. They began just stumbling over one another, lungs aching, filled with this acrid smoke. Away, they had to get off the hill, crashing down through the night, however they could. They made their ways back home. Kathleen May was a reasonable woman. She immediately called the police. Miss May wasn't the only person to contact the authorities about objects falling from the sky that evening. After the initial sighting of the object falling out of the sky, law enforcement had been contacted to investigate a potential plane crash. Due to that caller's vantage point, the law enforcement officers were sent to a different area in the county. So, Corporal Ted Tibbet had taken the call initially and he reached out to A. Lee Stewart, a journalist and part owner of the primary news publication in the area, the Braxton Democrat, located over in Sutton, just about 15 minutes away from Flatwoods, maybe less. Now, it may seem unusual for a law officer to contact uh, just some journalist, but Braxton County is a rural, sparsely populated area. They don't uh, have that many men available, and when all hands are on deck, 
Corporal Tibbet just uh, did the most reasonable thing he could think of. Miss May wasn't in any immediate danger, so he simply turned to someone that he knew he could trust to go take a look at things. Mr. Stewart was the first person to speak with the group after they were returned from the hilltop. The group was in hysterics, and they showed physical signs of the ailments they were experiencing from their encounter. It took a fair bit of prodding, but Mr. Stewart was able to get Eugene Lemon and one of the older boys to agree to uh, guide him back to the location. A small posse was formed with local men from the community, a shotgun, a few small firearms, and a couple of flashlights were gathered. The second group headed out. Now the real fear the boys and Miss May had shown was not easily cast aside and it weighed especially heavy on the two boys who accompanied the group. So, the group ascended the hill with a mounting trepidation, each step not knowing what uh, they were going to see. But they reached the hilltop. They didn't see a craft. They didn't see an orb, and they didn't see an entity. They did find a couple of unusual skid marks, and a few strange pieces of plastic. Now it was dark, it was late, and there, were talk, or there was talk of some strange beings out there in the hills, so... The men made a decision that I can't blame one bit for making. They decided to go back and, you know, have a better look tomorrow during daylight. Colonel Dale Levitt of the United States National Guard was awoken in the middle of the night by a phone call. It was Washington, D.C. He was being ordered to investigate the sites of the reported plane crash and to investigate the site where the group had encountered the being on the ground. He was accompanied by a full regime of National Guardsmen. Areas were cordoned off, samples were taken and sent into DC. Sadly, no reports of any findings have been made public. Now, this is a murkier area of this entire event, so I highly recommend you check out a documentary from 2006 called The Braxton County Monster by Frank Faschino. I'll provide a link to this in the description. He did a lot of work in the area for several decades and he still speaks on it today. He has the only interview with Dale Levitt that is known to exist and he also has interviews with Freddie May and other eyewitnesses. So if this case intrigues you and you're interested in uh, finding out more about this event and Project Blue Book, which investigated many UFO sightings in the 50s and 60s, I would look into Mr. Fashino's work. It's, uh, there's some interesting stuff in there. Reports vary as to what little else was found at the site and how the government and media followed up with the event from here. Matted grass, strange marks in the ground, an unusual plastic that was found that wouldn't burn when held to flame, but then turned up missing or was perhaps stolen before it could be presented on national television. An oily residue on the ground, by some accounts, an oily residue on Miss May's dress. Passing mentions of journalists, men in black, investigators, government agents poking around town. We do know Miss May, Eugene Lemon, and Ailey Stewart all traveled up to New York City the following week. They appeared on NBC's We the People, a program that aired on Fridays. This one was for September 19th. If any footage still exists today, I couldn't find it, but we do have stills, and that includes the most well-known image of the Flatwoods monster, 
This was performed uh, and created by a police sketch artist, according to Miss May and Eugene Lemon's descriptions. However, they do say the artist took some artistic liberties in regard to the arms and the lower half of the creature. So, they weren't altogether too happy, but still we have our most iconic imagery of the creature from this program. Flatwoods is still a quaint little town setting just off the side of the interstate in Braxton County today. Growing up, I knew it mainly as the best place to stop for some gas and a snack on my way between Charleston and Morgantown, but it's definitely worth the visit. In nearby Sutton, about 10 minutes away, uh, they house the Flatwoods Monster Museum. It's a pretty cool little place full of all kinds of neat little goodies. In Flatwoods proper, there is the Spot, a restaurant dedicated to the event and the monster. They have uh, some UFO sandwiches I would highly recommend. They're pub witches. Pair those with uh, some onion rings and a milkshake and you're going to be well set. Scattered about the area are five different chairs that are all themed around the monster. Uh, you go around, get photos of these, and take the photos to the museum and you'll put yourself a free sticker out of the deal. You can spend about a half day doing uh, Flatwoods monster-related activities in the area. Uh, it's a cool little place. I recommend checking it out. I would make a weekend of it, though. About half an hour north is Weston. That's home to the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. Then two hours to the west is Point Pleasant, and that's home to the Mothman. So you can easily schedule yourself a weekend and have a good little adventure out that way. But when you're in Flatwoods, don't go poking around for the landing site. It's on private property, and those folks aren't too keen on visitors. The physical effects of their encounter with the being, along with the thick smoke that accompanied it, would stick with the group for several weeks. Severe nausea, bouts of convulsions, lung, ear, eye, throat irritation, some reports say that Eugene Lemon's dog wasn't the same afterwards and passed away within just a couple of weeks. Curiosity had gotten the best of the group, and now they were paying the price for it. It wasn't just the physical effects either. It was the psychological shock of what they'd witnessed. That's something they would carry for the rest of their lives. Physically, they would go on to make full recoveries. Now, I'm sure many of you may be wondering what actually happened. And for potential answers to that, I'm happy to direct you to the other videos. I'm not big on speculating on that myself. I'll give you this. If you look up barn owl posturing, those little suckers create some horrifying noises. But for now, the only undeniable truth we have is this. This occurred nearly 70 years ago. Bigfoot and other hoaxes, they weren't in vogue and wouldn't be for decades. Roswell did occur five years before this, but that wasn't a subject of national interest until the late 70s. The term UFO, it wasn't even coined until 1953. This monster, it does not fit your typical little green alien, little gray alien descriptions. It's, it's unique. 
if nothing else, it's worth making note of just because of that. This is a unique event that does not fit any other mold. It's really fascinating. And really, if this piques your curiosity, there was a lot of interesting aerial phenomena going on in the 1950s. Look up Project Blue Book. Look up some of that uh, of Frank Faschino's work. Uh, really fascinating stuff. Very interesting. Well, that's out of my jurisdiction, so have fun going down that rabbit hole yourselves. This has been a glimpse of the Flatwoods Monster. The Braxton County Monster. The Green Monster. Braxy. I guess, uh... When you've got a creature that's hard to describe, sometimes it might be a little difficult to come up with one name for it. At least one that sticks. Anyways, my name's Sean. This is Dark Vandalia. I appreciate you. <laughs>